Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, independent college counselor, and I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School in Hebron, Kentucky. With us today is Mike Pierkowski, English teacher at Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, and podcast producer for whom there is never a gap in his dedication to the Get School podcast. Never. You know, Chris, today's episode is one that I'm really looking forward to because it's a topic that I don't think either of us know a ton about. Right. Today, we're going to learn about gap year experiences, what they are, how they can benefit students, and why they are a viable option for students as they graduate from high school and move on to the next level of their education. I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I'm excited to share our own experience and stories with it. And it'll be, it'll be, we have a great guest. It'll be, it'll Mm -hmm. be a good time. Uh, Before we do that though, Joel, as we mentioned in our last episode, uh, we are approaching our two-year anniversary of the Get Schooled podcast. Crazy. Who knew, who knew this would last two years? Who who knew that it would last two weeks? <laughs> That's uh, true. So we want to spend some time talking to our producer, Mike Piergalski. Uh, again, we mentioned a minute ago, high school English teacher and tennis coach by day and by night. He's the reason this podcast sounds as good as it does. In our opening segment today, we want to take a few minutes to learn from Mike what he's learned from this podcast, sort of our uh, view from our fifth lens, so to speak. So, so Mike, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, thanks. (laughs) Even even though you're here every time. Yeah, it's it's, uh, almost my first time as kind of in the the guest role. So uh, I've been here, but I've not really sort of been here in this in this sort of seat before. But yeah, I mean, I think when I look back on these past two years, um, I, I think it's best if I sort of start at the beginning, like what my perception of just college counseling was at the sort of start of this. And um, it goes back to when I was in high school and I went to high school in, in suburban Chicago, um, pretty big school, 1600, 1700 kids. Uh, my class was like 450, 500, somewhere around there. And I don't, I think I met with a college counselor once. I don't remember his name. I know he was male, um, but I didn't. And I think it was just kind of a numbers thing. And you know, my high school was really, really good. And it's not like I felt sort of cheated out of anything, but I just think sort of didn't have maybe the guidance was there, but I just wasn't interested in sort of getting the guidance. Um, but I like really sure, didn't, sure. um, didn't know what it really was that a college counselor did. Um, uh, I just really spoke to my parents about college and, uh, just tried to get good grades and stuff like that. And then, um, it, you know, life just sort of happened. And so, and then once I started working in schools, um, my first job was in England and, uh, there wasn't, I don't think we really had a college counselor at um, the secondary school I worked with there. But uh, when I got the job with uh, with Chris in North Kentucky, um, I did really see sort of how much um, college counselors do meet with kids and how much advice they provide and how it's 
there's so many facets and uh, things really that just a college counselor does. Well, you let me you let me come in your class yes. a lot with sophomores. You, you let me come in, and, and a lot of it was uh, started off with probably scheduling advice sort of thing, but then but then we did a few more things with career and this and that. But we got to spend a good amount of yeah. time together. And in, in and, and one reason why I I like that so much was that I feel like that's definitely it's something that either I didn't get when I was in high school or it's something that I got but like nothing really stuck and I was definitely somebody who I think people assumed that I had a lot of goals or something when I was a kid or younger but um <laughs> I don't know I never really thought about my future very much I just kind of assumed everything would just sort of work out um and I'm not I'm, kind of to this day I'm still not somebody that does that naturally I sort of have to be kind of thrust into it. And I definitely wish when I was younger, um, I was just more intentional with all of those um, sort of exercises or, or thoughts. And it, it, if I had, I don't know, those those days like the, you know, three or four times over the course of a year that you came in, Chris, and, you know, talked about how you, how you balance, well, how you just think about your future in terms of balance of what's important to you, what your values are, and, and how, you know, the best career is something that is this crazy Venn diagram of it's the center of a bunch of different things. And I'm not, I don't know if, if that makes sense. It's, it was a luxury though. Like what we want to set that straight, probably just within our listenership right now, it was a luxury that I had a high school with a caseload that was not like Joel's caseload. Hey, and mine's better now. I know it is. I know, but I had, we had 650 students with three counselors at one point and then maybe two and a half counselors at another point. But I could, and it was a small enough school where I could spend one day with you and talk to every sophomore. It would take Joel a week to find enough English classes, let's say, to talk to all the sophomores. And that's how I could get into your class three times in a year or four times in a year. So that's, I did before, before anybody starts thinking, well, that's not my life as a counselor. I did, I did recognize the luxury that I had. To what's have what's to the it. sort of typical um, ratio of kid, you know, the counselor to students? I think the national average, Joel, tell me if I'm wrong, is around 470 to one. Four, yeah. Between 450 mm. and 500 to one. Yeah. Um, it, it can be, I mean, in some parts of the country, um, Arizona, California, you could be looking at over a thousand, over a thousand, right. Um, you know, so, so where we are in Kentucky, you know, we're, we're typically around and the so, average. And, and so for, um, I guess, you know, if, if you're in a school that's around the, the national average, what's your goal is, is the goal is to kind of check in with every single student, how many times a year, um, is there kind of like a number you kind of want to hit? And then there's some students that will seek you out for sure. But what's the calculus there? I, that's a hard, that's a very hard question to answer because in all honesty, you get to a certain ratio and you go to work and survive every day. And, and you don't have time to drum yeah. up business or, or to do anything um, proactively. You can, you can try, you should do your best to do proactive work and try to get to everybody but then you're concentrating efforts on, say, seniors or at scheduling time. When thing, and then there, I know some counselors who just start their day with a line mm -hmm. of crisis out the right. door. Mm -hmm. 
And then by 10, 30 or 11, you know, if you're lucky, you've dealt with all the morning crises. And, and, and then you, so you're, you're in a survival mode. And, and I think it depends too on how you define working with individual kids. You know, when he's in a classroom of your sophomores, technically he's worked with each one of those kids. But, do, you know, are we counting that? You know, and, and when you get, when you get to a certain number of kids, you do have to count that. You you do have to use those opportunities to maximize your exposure to kids, um, you know, and get that information out once to 25 kids instead of 25 times to each individual kid. Right. right? So, yeah, hitting it that way. And then you get creative with your time. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know if you necessarily count this, but I was at a school where I had to do lunch duty every day. And if like if you didn't man the line to get into like the cafeteria section, so that's that was my station right at the door. But it allowed me as I stopped people going in and out uh, was was to develop really cool relationships with kids at lunch in line. <laughs> and that's I, it's hard to count that, but you know that that you know non you know unconditional or non contingent kind of relationship building is. Yeah, yeah, you, you know. So when when you know the student comes in with a, you know, a crisis about a, a scholarship or this application, you can just kind of say like, well, here, let's just sort of diffuse it by just talking about our mutual love of ketchup, right? Or ranch ranch dressing, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, I can see yes. that. So it's cool. Yeah. So Mike, I, I'm curious, how did you decide that you wanted to be a part of this podcast? Well, um, I'd been. I'd been interested in in podcasting for a, a, a long, long time. It sort of goes back to, um, I think podcasts first came on my radar when um, I lived in England and I really wanted to uh, watch Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, but it was like really tricky to get ESPN. This is back in like 2008 through 2010. So it's like, oh, I can really watch ESPN. Um, and I, I didn't really, I don't think I even, I don't think I had an iPod at that point. I might've had a, an orange nano. I can't quite remember when I got that thing, but, um, <laughs> but I would, uh, I would listen to the PTI podcast, like through the, uh, through the ESPN website. And so to me, that was just like, and that's, that's a bit different. It's just the audio from their TV show. But, um, you know, I, so I, and I, I think that's right around there, 2008, you know, 2000, I think Bill Simmons started doing his pod in like 2007. So it's like right around when podcasting kind of began. And I just, I've always liked um, like listening to sports radio really. And uh, so I don't know. So I started just being exposed to podcasts with that. And then once I moved back to the States, kind of podcasts really exploded. I, I remember um, jogging through Eden Park in Cincinnati, uh, listening to uh, season one of Serial, and that must have been like 2012 or something, maybe. But it's it's one of those things yeah. where I remember sort of like where I was um, <laughs> when that happened. I was, uh, if if you know anything about Eden Park, I was uh, right by the kind of um, reflecting pool, mirror mirror lake. I actually don't know what it's called, yeah, but exactly. um, yeah, I was jogging around there and just. Um, uh, you know, listening to my first narrative podcast, really. And so um, kind of ever since then, and I started using Serial in my journalism class um, from then on. And then that sort of morphed into, well, let's have students record um, their own podcasts and uh, sort of scripted, um, 
you know, creative writing sort of radio dramas and, and stuff like that. And so that got me into sort of the uh, sort of amateur kind of production side side to it. And uh, um, yeah, it just kind of spawned, spawned from there. And now, and I'm sure you guys are, this is a case with you as well. I mean, there's uh, six or seven like podcasts that I like try to listen to per, per day. Um, you know, some 10 minutes long, others an hour long, but there's, I'm never not, if I'm just working or doing things around the house, uh, I'm never not listening to a podcast. And so when, um, Chrissy had the idea, um, to create a podcast or, you know, surrounding everything in the field of college admissions, and you wanted somebody to kind of help with the technical side to it that just kind of knows the medium fairly well, uh, you know, fairly well. Um, yeah, it was kind of a no brainer and, you know, I've been friends with Chris ever since I started at Beachwood. So, you know, I knew it was going to be a good time. And it, it has been uh, for, for us. Yeah. I, I hope it's been a good time for you. Uh, do you have any, any thoughts on maybe some of the, maybe some of the things that you pulled away from just the content and, and learning as a, yeah. Again, so, well, one thing that kind of comes to mind that I just had no, it wasn't even on my radar that universities really paid attention to stuff like this, although it makes total sense that they do. Um, the podcast that we did about demonstrated interest um, just kind of really opened my eyes to just how kind of sophisticated the whole apparatus is. And, you know, the idea, and, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on the podcast with this, but that when you get an email from a college, like not only will they know if you read it, but they'll know how long you spent reading it and the links that you yep. click on. And just like, it's such a hard calculus to kind of figure out if you're a student, like to what extent do I try to like game the system to show that I'm like really interested and, you know, to what extent should those interactions be sort of, sort of genuine. And it's just kind of, so big brotherish to know that, um, you know, this is a, a, a business in some respects and that they are recruiting you. They want to attract talent to their universities and just all the minutia that kind of goes into that. It's just cool to hear two people that, well, that's just part of their world. And like, yeah, of course, colleges do that, kind of kind of talk about it. So that was uh, that was something that really stuck with me. And, Cool. Yeah. yeah and sure. um, as, as a teacher, I guess through that lens, I, I remember um, this is a while ago, but we did a podcast about um, AP versus dual credit. Listen to pod. That's our most listened to podcast. People, still, people yeah. still will listen to it. We'll get a couple of. And, on you know, especially yeah. back when I was, I was still at Beachwood um, because I there, there was this kind of um, push to um, I don't know if push is the right word, but teachers. Uh, were encouraged to offer dual credit options and in addition to AP options. And um, it is just an interesting debate because I've seen both sides of the coin. I've, I'm teaching AP now and um, I've, I've created dual credit classes, in my case, creative writing and journalism. Um, oh, that was just a creative writing part that was a dual credit. But uh, yeah, it was just interesting to, you know, as weird as that sounds as a dual credit teacher, I didn't really know I didn't know sort of how universities looked at that and you know it, they both are avenues towards college credit but how does that look on a transcript and everything like that so that was 
uh, yeah, looking back, I'm not, su- I'm not surprised it's the highest or most, most popular episode. I have enjoyed the last couple of years. Um, it's been, it's, it's just been a lot of fun and I don't know if there's anything, is there anything else that's, yeah. That and and it, uh, uh, this is one thing that it's, it was so interesting to hear you two talk about it because it confirms something that I've suspected. And this is just one of my sort of like hobby horses that I'll, I'll kind of like always want to talk about, or I'll always like, it's, it's, it's one of my, one of my few, like really strongly held opinions that, um, I just like to like to voice and that's that colleges are just too, too nice now, right? Colleges don't have to be these luxury like destinations that they're becoming. And, you know, I, I went to Miami university and, um, I tried to, to visit, you know, go back about once a year, just, you know, walk the campus again. And, you know, it doesn't, a university, and they recently did a massive bit of construction, as most universities are to some extent under under construction. Um, and they added uh, to the student center, which is, again, fabulous, really nice. I love Miami, but I don't think the student center necessarily needed a 1950s style stainless steel diner sort of thing. Super cool, and I ate at it. But um, it's just my sort of belief that like universities do not need to be that nice. We can, we can lower tuition and just, we don't need <laughs> all of these kind of nuts. It's, it's the the arms arms that's exactly, race. that's exactly yeah. it. That was, that was another, another good episode. And so, you know, that's, I'll sort of talk about that with anyone who will listen. It's just let's, and I know college tuition is another, the cost of college and all that. That's another uh, huge issue. That's really tricky to solve. But I think one step is let's stop expecting so much from a university, right? It's going to be, it's going to be a, you know, a really good experience in almost in, in most cases, probably if, you know, everything isn't a hundred percent, a hundred percent state of the art and brand new, and, but it's the expectations for it are so high now. And, you know, there is this competition, as you mentioned with the arms race, I don't know if there's a way to put the uh, toothpaste back in the tube now, but something I think about all the time and I don't see tuition costs changing until that changes. We, we, we can give you okay. an answer to that question. Right. There is no <laughs> way to put the toothpaste back in, in the container yeah. because no one will come. No one will come to, to, to yeah. Mike P university, MPU. Because, one bathroom because per nice 40 enough. rooms. Just that's good. what, that's what, that's what <laughs> yeah. MPU. Yeah. No, yeah. no one will come yeah. Mike. One urinal. <laughs> but I, I, no, no, I would, yeah. I would go, I'd go to that school because I, I'd want to pay less and get a high Not to say that it's, it's not, that and, it's not and, nice. No. It's just the right level of nice. It's like, all right, this is nice. Not like, right. Like, it's unbelievable. Yes. It doesn't need to be unbelievable. Um, or maybe there's just like a few that Understood. are truly unbe- unbelievable. And like those cost loads of money, <laughs> but like, there's plenty of like fine options. We are kind of setting up living expectations that people won't be able to continue when they graduate. Right. Like you'll live better in college than, than you will for the first 20 That's years right. of your career. So what, I mean, and, and this is, yeah, maybe I'm just asking you to kind of relive parts from that arms race episode, but you know, to me, again, I just go back to just cause it's, it's what I know. I'm like, all right, we don't need the fifties style diner. Right. What are, what are some of the things that, that you, you know, to, for, for you guys that just stick out like, all right, that, like that one thing is just, you know, sticks out in your mind as being over the top. Any, any lazy river, any, any lazy yeah. river at any college yeah. doesn't need to be there. I can, I can tell you that right now. 
granite countertops. Yes. Yeah, that's a little strong. I got I, granite. I, my first granite countertops, I was like my 40s. Yeah. You should not have that yeah. at 18. Yeah. Right. No. No. Mm-hmm. So there, there, yeah, there you go. Cool. Boom. Just like that. I, I, I'll say this one, although really I think I would want it. Washers that send you a message to your phone when your laundry is almost done. Nah, that's cool, man. I, some of my best conversations, though, were in the laundry room waiting for the the washer to go off or the dryer to go off or or ping pong games outside mm-hmm. of the laundry room. And, well, that's and good. You, and now you don't even have to engage. Like the phone will just tell you when to go downstairs. Nah, well, that's much. something that that my you know fictional college will definitely have is the the ratio of washing machines to ping pong tables will basically be like one to one so yeah that's yes yes <laughs> that's 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 written that's into cool. uh nice. the mission statement of uh mpu mpu right. of mpu guys should we should we move on to our main to our main topics yeah i think so mike awesome. we can't express how much we appreciate you being part of this podcast uh, part of the Get Schooled Empire. Yeah, maybe. Um, so with that, let's take a break. And when we come back, let's dive into the topic du jour, gap year experiences. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason Ford. Uh, Chris, we need we need help on this topic. We need somebody that, that knows way more than we do. Um, so how about introducing today's guest? I am thrilled to introduce our guest, uh, Julia Rogers, the founder of Enroute Consulting, a company that works with students, families, travel companies, and schools to provide them with information, and supports needed to create and have a quality gap year experience for students. But that's not all, Joel. She's also President Emeritus, as well as former president and board member of the Gap Year Association that you mentioned earlier. She also serves on the board of advisors for the Children's Literacy Foundation, the Gap Year Association, and the Main Street Alliance of Vermont. Uh, she frequently visits different places to research potential gap year locations. I would be happy to tag along any of those visits. She's originally from New Jersey, but has lived in the UK, Maine, Tennessee, Montana, Wyoming, Tanzania, and now Vermont with her husband and two daughters. And I do know a fun fact that she is very close to the Alchemist Brewing Company and Hetty Topper Beer. But... <laughs> That's for another time, I suppose. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Hamilton College in New York. And as we always say, she is now at the, this is not even true, but we'll just pretend (laughs) she is now at the apex of her professional career being on the Get Schooled podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Julia. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys. It's such an honor to to know that today I am reaching the pinnacle of my career. (laughs) Like, where do you oh, go from goodness. here? I mean, really. I know, I know. You um, <laughs> and didn't mention the answer that you is are back fellow, to work. <laughs> we, we didn't mention that you are a fellow podcaster. I am, yes. I love to geek out on the topics that I am interested in, too. So I host a podcast called Gap Year Radio, where, you guessed it, we interview 
gap year students and alums and other experts in the industry and really try to provide another just kind of touch point for students to get more information about this topic. I feel like your podcast is really nice in that it it's, gives you a chance to tell stories. Um, I know a lot of your episodes are kind of revolving around that. So that's, that's it's, it's really nice. And I feel honored to have you have you on ours. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I, I mean, you can probably guess I love talking about this. So <laughs> Joel, did he do a good job describing that Venn diagram, Julia? I think he did a great job because it's not easy to describe something that's visual. And I'm sure that you guys will include it in the snow, uh, show notes. But um, I think that it was really well done. And it, I think that that is actually one of my favorite diagrams to think about when just philosophizing on the good life and kind of what we all want for our young people. We, we want them to have a sense of purpose and we all want to have a sense of purpose as as professionals as well. So I think that being intentional about what you want out of the next step in your life after high school is kind of where it all begins. So I think that that um, diagram does a great job of it. And it actually is lifted from um, a Japanese concept called Ikigai. And if you really want to learn more about it, there's a bunch of really great TED Talks about about that concept, but translates roughly to one's purpose for being, Ikigai. I will geek out on that. I will watch... I will start watching the TED Talks for sure, for sure on that. That's philosophically, it just resonated with me anyway. Um, Julia, I obviously, you know, we've mentioned before, we've talked a little bit before this, but I love your origin story. Would you be willing to tell us about your previous experience and how it led to your current work? Sure, I'd love to. So I think that a lot of people in the gap year space have a similar you know, formative experience in, in either service work or experiential education that has led us here. And for me, that was uh, an experience that I had right after I graduated college. And I, I wanted to join the Peace Corps, but I was a little bit unsure about the time commitment of, of two and a half years. So I decided to dedicate a year of, of service instead. And so I did a lot of research and, and found a really great nonprofit doing public health outreach in Tanzania, which is in East Africa. And so I uh, fundraised for the program fee because there was a, um, a relatively small program fee to, to join up. And then I was dispatched um, to Tanzania to do three months of training. So we, we, ha- we spent six weeks in Swahili training, intensive Swahili training, and then a month in um, program training alongside 15 Tanzanian volunteers. So the makeup of the program was 15 international volunteers and 15 Tanzanian volunteers. We were all 18 to 27 years old. And our, our job was to pair up and, and go to these small villages that did not have any health educators in the villages. And so in these kind of international national pairs, we were in charge of delivering the health curriculum in schools and then reaching the community members through other kind of creative ways of of education outreach. Um, So it was a really challenging experience because, you know, adapting to a new culture, learning a language, understanding the nuances, especially around very sensitive topics, because we were focused on HIV AIDS prevention and, and stigma prevention and other kinds of sexually transmitted disease education. So obviously that uh, comes with a lot of uh, potential landmines with, with uh, um, reaching out to a community in a delicate way. So that in itself, the topic was really fascinating and interesting, but then the living in, in a small community um, was also just 
an incredible experience. And so I, I took away from that experience the knowledge that if I had had that experience before I had started college, it would have completely reinformed my my college experience. I probably would have had a different major. I may have even gone to a different school, although I really loved Hamilton. I think that I may have gone to a place with a stronger international development program or something along those lines. So I be kind of become a, I became a real proponent of the idea of a gap year and analyzing why our culture doesn't embrace the idea of this intentional time out as you're growing into your adult life. And so that's really what prompted me to start en route was to help um, people have that those experiences and understand how to have them. Do other cultures promote this a whole lot better than the United States? Yes. Um, you know, it's really common historically for, for British students to take a gap year, Australians, um, other places in Europe. It's pretty common. In fact, most of the other students who were not American on my gap year program were pre-university British gap year students or Australian. So that was a really interesting juxtaposition to, to watch these 18-year-olds have the same incredibly challenging and informative experience as me, but um, be four years younger and just kind of in a different life stage. So I think that there are historically other cultures that are much more uh, accepting and open to this idea and America is catching up now. And what did you learn while you were there? Well, I learned a lot about resilience and resourcefulness because I think that from on a personal level, um, living in a, in a place where I didn't have running water or electricity was a new experience for me learning how to communicate across cultures was a new experience for me. So I learned a lot about what I was grateful for. A lot of the students that I worked with um, did not, I mean, all of the young people that I worked with in uh, my village did not have, you know, a, a clear path to post-secondary education. And even secondary education was a huge challenge. The students all had to walk about 30 minutes to get to their secondary school. And um, when I arrived to do lessons, a lot of them had not eaten since breakfast. Um, there was just such different challenges to to um, having a um, a life that was as easy as the one that I had grown up living. And so that completely changes your outlook on life when you have an experience like that. And I think so. When I came home, I was um, I was so much more cognizant of my privilege, um, and I think that that really what that's really what I think would have reinformed the educational experience is that we kind of, or at least in my community, it was kind of taken for granted that you would, you know, go to community college or, or college after high school. Um, and you tried to get into the best one you could. And, and there was that kind of tr tracking of, of progress. Um, and I think that that was something that I really reevaluated once I got back from Tanzania. So you mentioned that the United States is kind of catching up on this idea maybe of gap year experiences. What do you think the perception is by the, by the general public and why does that perception exist? Sure. And, you know, I think that there's not one perception. I think a lot of it is uh, regional or even sometimes down to the high school that a student attends as to what the culture around gap years looks like. I think that overall we're seeing a trend, a positive trend towards acceptance of this concept but it's been decades in the making. And so I think that in a lot of places, there is still a perception of a gap year as a unknown, unstructured, risky proposition, you know. Um, but I think that among colleges or among communities where 
gap years have been normalized. So where you have, you know, a few students every year or sometimes as many as 10% of, of gap of graduating seniors taking gap time, then all of a sudden the school counselors are really in on the idea and the parents are in on the concept. And so when you start having those um, those cultural shifts towards gap year acceptance, then it's a very different perception. Be- and, and all of a sudden the counselors and the parents are encouraging young people to consider that. Um, now over on the college and university side of things, they've known for a long time that gap year students perform better academically, graduate sooner. You know, there's, there's more retention with gap year students on campus. So colleges and universities really like the gap year concept. And so more and more they're creating pathways for students to defer for gap time and making it easier, sometimes even providing in-house scholarships for their gap year students, which is really cool. What types of things make a quality gap year experience? Yeah, you you mentioned some of them in the intro. So I think that the most important ingredients for gap time is intention. So knowing what you want to get out of this period of time and then having some goals that you can grab onto to kind of act as a foundation for what you're going to do with your gap time. And then the third component I would say is mentorship, making sure that you have someone either through a program or just someone in your life who can help be a sounding board for your experience and really help make sure that you're kind of kind of an accountability buddy, if you will, to make sure that you're pushing yourself in the ways that you've kind of self-identified as the ways that you want to grow on your gap time. So I think that unlike the perception in some places that a gap year is a, is a lack of a choice, a gap year is really the opposite. It's a really deliberate decision to say like, okay, how am I, what kind of adult do I want to be? What are my values? What do I want to spend my time engaging in? And then what are the opportunities and resources I need to make that happen? I think that leads to Joel's next question. Yeah. So, so I guess I'm just curious. So uh, students and parents come to you and they say, we want to have a gap experience. Um, Where do you, where do you start when you sit down at the table uh, for the first time? How do you start the process? Um, How how does it, how does it look? Uh, Give us, give us that vision. If you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the easiest way to kind of understand the process is that it is the almost opposite process of planning for college. <laughs> Not completely, but hear me out, because I think that when you're applying and preparing <laughs> yourself to to get accepted to colleges, you are framing yourself to be accepted by an institution. So you are you are asking to be admitted. Whereas a gap year completely turns that concept around and says, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? How do you want to learn? And so I think that it's, there's a bit of a difference in um, how to frame it. But I think that obviously, you know, we want students to engage with their higher education after their gap time. And that way that it's, so it's more of a bridge year or a five-year experience, if you will. But I think that coming, coming into it, knowing that that's part of the process is important. And then thinking about, okay, those three parts of the definition of a gap year, personal, practical, professional, how can a student engage with all three of those things on their gap time? So personal stuff is the things that you just want to do for fun. What hobbies are you into? What things do you want to try out for the first time? 
um, you know, I have students who say, okay, well, I was really into theater in high school and I never really got to spend as much time with it. So maybe they're going to, you know, run tech at a community theater, or they're going to do an actual drama program somewhere else. Um, and then there's kind of the practical skills, the life skills, the adulting skills. So that could be, you know, learning how to cook for yourself, increasing your own independence, you know, whatever a student really thinks that they need to function and thrive as an adult is, can go into that category. And then there's the pre-professional stuff. So how can you experiment and explore potential career paths on your gap year through volunteering or interning or taking courses? Um, and by courses, I usually mean like enrichment courses, not necessarily credit courses, but can be sometimes some college credit courses or community college courses as part of your gap time too. So it, all this kind of exploring and experimenting is very deliberate because it all is very customized to the student in question. Is it one year? Is it always one year? Because we say gap year. Is it something that can be shorter or? Yeah, I usually frame it. Even longer? Definitely. Well, you know, in I think that we usually say like gap time is, is a more accurate description, although we don't want necessarily, necessarily see that gap decade. Um, but usually it falls sometimes within uh, several months to two years is kind of the time frame that you want to think about. And and I think that the most important aspect of the timing is that it's, again, that there is an end to it and that there is a, an idea of what the next step is after that. Um, and you don't necessarily need to know what that next step is going to be when you start your gap year. But as you start to approach deadlines or, you know, or some, you know, m- points during your year where you do have to start making those decisions, you really should be thinking deliberately about what's going to happen after your gap year so that you can make plans and and kind of end it in a meaningful, you know, knowledge of, of end of end point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, how does somebody, how does somebody figure this out on their own? I wouldn't even know where to go. I'd call you and then I'd like to hire you to help me out because I have no idea, but how do, how do people figure this out by themselves or can they? Yeah, no, I think it's totally possible. And I think that I'm always really amazed when I talk to gap year students who did everything on their own or with the help of their parents or another adult in their lives who've helped them guide them through. And I think that it does come down to it being a research process. Um, And so if a student does do that exercise where they kind of identify some goals and some intentions for their gap time, um, then you can really start to branch out into the research process, which a lot of times is either talking to people in your life who've taken gap time. If you don't know anybody, then then you start to go to the internet. And there's some really great resources like the Gap Year Association and a couple other websites like Go Overseas, which is not exclusive to overseas options, or the whole AmeriCorps and National Service um, listings of opportunities. So there are some really great landing points where a student can go at the beginning of their research process to kind of know what's out there. And then once they know what's out there, they can start thinking about what's good for them. So if they want to spend time in the outdoors, there's lots of opportunities for that. If they want to self-design their year, um, then they can start thinking about how that's going to look for them. How are they going to structure their time meaningfully? Um, So there's really a lot of different recipes for a gap year. Um, A recent survey found that they surveyed about 3000 gap year students and they found there was 246 different combinations of activities, programs, things that they did that were self-designed. And that's not representative of the things that they did. That's just the different combinations of types of things that you can do. So it's really exponential from there, how you can actually come together to plan your gap year. 
Now, I, that probably makes it seem like it's really more complicated than it is. Um, so I think that to break it down, the steps would be set your goals, do your online research, start to hone in on the things that you really want to do, and then start to design an itinerary where you choose when certain things are going to happen during your year using a progression of more structured, meaning more support, more mentorship towards more independence as the year goes on or more challenge. You know, sometimes students are like, I want to hike the long trail or I want to walk the PCT or something that's really out there. And it's like, well, maybe you need to learn how to camp first before you walk 300 miles. Um, so, you know, there's a definitely a natural progression to how to formulate a gap year depending on what they want to do. All right, we're going to we're going to go off script for just a second because we're monitoring the chat and uh, our producer Mike is throwing questions in the chat, so I want to give him a chance to jump in the conversation and ask a question. So Mike, what do you what do you have for us? Yeah, thanks Joel. So, um, you know, one thing I was just kind of turning over in my head and it probably varies from sort of case to case, but we often think of college so much in terms of cost benefits analysis and how much is college going to cost. And I'm just wondering, uh, Julia, if if you have any data or can just kind of shed some light on in a sort of typical experience, how much would a gap year tend to run somebody in terms of cost or do they tend to kind of almost pay for themselves if there's a work experience involved in it or like kind of like what what you had talked about a fundraising element to it? Yeah, such an important question because I think that access is one of those hot button topics when it comes to gap years. I think there I think when we talked about perception, I think there's an additional perception sometimes that gap years are elitist or only available to a, a select few people and that could not be further from the truth with some caveats. So let so let me dive in first by saying that the largest gap year program provider in the United States is AmeriCorps, is a fully funded national service program structure where that costs nothing and gives you an education award at the end of your service. So I think that we can really bust open some stereotypes by thinking about when you're when you're actually talking about the components of an intentional gap year and who is taking them, it's actually much more diverse than we would normally think because we think of a gap year as, okay, I'm going to go backpack in Southeast Asia and you know, that, that kind of stuff. But there's so many students that are actually taking what we would consider a gap year, but they're doing it as a service year or they're, um, you know, working and taking classes, but there's other components that make it more like a gap year. So um, I think that there, that being said, um, there is um, a way to think about a gap year as an investment as well, because I, when we're talking about the ROI of a gap year, it's when a student takes an intentional gap year, they do come out a student who is more prepared to thrive in college and career. That's just what the data has told us for, for years and years. So a family can kind of come together and say, okay, I'm interested in a gap year. What does our family have to invest in this period of time? And that could be nothing. That could be, okay, Jimmy has to self-fund his whole gap year or do something that's fully funded. That's fine. We can do, we can work with that. Or a family who has more resources might say, we can put X number of dollars towards gap year experiences and we'll find something that works within that budget. Anything on that spectrum can be worked with because there's such a diversity in things that you can do on a gap year that can be meaningful. So a lot of students will self-fund their gap time and they'll work for part of it so they can do something else for part of it. Um, you can also do really, really low cost things like um, 
you can do work exchanges like uh, I don't know if, know if any of you have heard of woofing, which is actually working on organic farms where you basically do a work exchange of your your labor for free room and board. And so you can go and work on, you know, these you know, a goat farm in Tuscany, or you can learn, you know, how to do ranching in Argentina, or you can work in Hawaii on a mango farm. You know, there's, there's literally so many of those kinds of things um, that you can do that are, that are cost neutral, except, except for your travel expenses. So I have, I know of a lot of students who actually work for six months and really hustle and save some money and then have some really cool, um, low-cost volunteer experiences or internship experiences or travel experiences in the second half of their gap time, and they actually come out of their gap year in a net positive. You know, they're not breaking it in, but the experiences that they're having make them so much richer. So I think that there's there's a lot of different ways of thinking about the costs associated with a gap year, but the main underline is that anybody can take them. It's just a matter of what you do with that, with the resources that you have at, on, uh, available. And gosh, make we can also get into scholarships and fundraising and stuff if you want to as well. But what do you think about that? That does answer my question. I guess it, there's not a way to kind of say like, look, your typical gas gap experience might cost fifteen hundred dollars or something like that, because it really is so dependent on the type of experience that the person wants wants to do. And I guess it's it's definitely comforting to know that you know a gap year gap experience doesn't have to be as you said back backpacking across Asia, which, you know, it might not be the most expensive thing in the world, but there's definitely a sort of barrier to a lot of students who might want to do that. And like you, um, uh, after, after college, um, I spent two years teaching abroad. Um, and well, it, it's, it's not the same experience as you, but I, I sort of felt like I took um, my version of a gap year after college, I guess. And I saw that as a way to not only see some of the world and sort of expand my horizons, but to do it in a way that would make financial sense for me also. And so that's a long way of saying, I wonder if your your group does anything with, or just what you think about the concept of the, the gap experienced post-college. And I guess in terms of thinking as it, a gap, not between high school and college, but a gap between college and and career, because Chris had something said something earlier about how he wasn't maybe sure if he would have been sort of ready for a gap year as like a pretty young graduating high school senior. And so I just wonder if that's something that that you think about in terms of a post, I guess, senior year of college gap year. Uh, I love the idea. I think that really when we talk about when these experiences are beneficial the answer is any time that you can afford to take them either time wise or or money wise so i'm a big proponent of gap years after college and sometimes during college too there's a, quite a few students who take a leave of absence to because they they've lost their mojo in college and they need to figure out some things before they really finish up and that's you know another time that's worth doing too because you it's you know, you're, you're, if you're in a four-year college experience, it is such a special period of time and you don't want to not know why you're there. So I think that for those before college or during college gappers, they're going to get a lot out of it. But if you don't have the chance to do it before college and you just discover it as a, as an option or know that you're meant to do it after school too, before career or in between undergrad and grad school is another really common time to do it. That's awesome as well. And I think that when families are, are thinking about this or, or counselors are looking at their students, 
you know, the one thing that I would say is if you are working with a student or you're looking at your kid and you're saying, this kid is not ready for college. This, he, he doesn't know what he wants to do or she's mentally not ready for it. Um, if you are aware that a young person is not going to thrive in post-secondary education, that's a real opportunity to say, okay, how can a gap year help prepare them for college? Because um, those are the students who really need that kind of support. And oftentimes we'll need programming that costs more to get them the foundational uh, support that they need so they can step into the next, next stage with uh, more success. So are there pitfalls in planning a gap year experience? And if so, what, what are some of those pitfalls? Joel, you, um, you cut out for a second. Could you repeat that question? Sure. Um, are there pitfalls in planning a, a gap year experience? And if there are pitfalls, what are some of those pitfalls? Yeah, I think that there's definitely challenges with any choice like this. I think that the the biggest one, I think, for, for families is sometimes that this is a different path and has different challenges than the path straight to, you know, um, vocational school, community college, post-secondary education of any type. So um, the pitfalls, I think the biggest one is the risk of not planning intentionally. So um, if you cannot force a student into a gap year, um, if, a, if a parent or a counselor notices that this young person you know, is that that student I just described um, and pushes them into a gap year, but the student isn't bought in, that's a recipe for disaster because a student uh, really needs to be an active, um, the captain basically of the, of the gap year ship, if you will. And so that can be a real challenge if a student doesn't think it's a good idea or a student wants to go straight to college and um, the parent wants to take them, wants them to take a gap year. So that can um, lead to some not great outcomes. Um, but then within that, you know, the the normal concerns, I think, are mostly around cost and safety. And there's ways to control for both of those things, as I, you know, touched on cost before. And then safety wise, you know, I think that, um, you know, making sure that it, that um, a student understands their limitations of uh, safe decision making um, and that a family is comfortable with the different geographic and structural components of a gap year to make sure that it's uh, appropriate for that particular student because you know some students are you know have the life experience or maturity to go and do really cool and independent things in very different kinds of places than where they grew up and other students need to experience more so they can build that foundation to have safe independent experiences later in their gap year i feel like we're, we got really comprehensive training on this already uh, but i'm concerned that we didn't ask all the right questions so what what are we what are we missing? What else do we need to know, Julia? Um, well, you mentioned before about how you, as a counselor or an IEC or a parent, could recognize who's a good gap year candidate, and that's a really interesting topic because I think that who you think is going to take a gap year is really based on your experience of who you may know who's taken a gap year, um, and the reality is much more exciting <laughs> because. Um, I actually do a whole like professional right. development session for, for school counselors on this topic. And there's actually, I would say, six profiles of, of good gap year candidates. And I won't take up an hour of your time by going through them all in detail on this podcast. But I will say that a gap year can be appropriate for different people because there's different motivations and different uh, needs of different types of students that a gap year can really leverage. So, for example... 
you do have your high performing, high achieving gappers who are more likely to feel burnt out after high school. And for those students, you know, they often need a little bit of time to recharge before going into a, a high stakes, high, like competitive college experience. Julie, I've got one more, one more thing. And it's because I don't know what I don't know. And what, what, what are we missing? What else, what else do we need to know? You tell us. Yeah, well, I think we've covered a lot of ground, but one thing that I think is um, really important for for you know you all as as counselors and IECs and parents is to know that you know there's not one type of gap year student. I think we touched on that earlier. There's actually you know all all sorts of different profiles of students who who can benefit from gap time, and that's because a because it's so customizable and really you can do so much with the time, but also because different students have different motivations for taking a gap year and are therefore going to have different outcomes. So just to give you like a short, you know, preview of what could be a much longer conversation about who takes a gap year and why, um, some, some common, you know, types of students that I see who take gap time include, you know, the high, high performer, like high test score, high GPA students who feel burnt out at the end of high school. And so those students will you know, use their time to, you know, recharge and explore other areas of interest without the pressure of, of college applications and things like that. You've got your students who are really bright, sometimes usually high test score, but, you know, maybe their GPA doesn't always reflect that because they really need to like a subject to get into it. Um, and those kind of motivational uh, driven learners are going to really benefit from being able to tinker and explore their different interests on their gap time and kind of in- increase their perspective on why they're college education is necessary for their next steps. Um, You got your students who have no idea what they want to do, have no idea how they're going to utilize a post-secondary degree towards that end. And so they really need, sometimes they need maturity, but they also need to discover their own direction. And a lot of times experiential opportunities can really help them do that. You got students who have mental health challenges or other types of challenges that um, have prevented them from having a really successful high school experience. And so those students use their time to heal and develop good tools to, to thrive in the next steps. You got students who just want to, you know, explore the world a little bit and try new things. Those are, I call them the adventurers because you can't really categorize them. They, they tend to want to just take a bite out of life. Um, and then you have students who just, and this is a, you know, cross section across all those other profiles, students who understand the expense and the investment of their college education and really want to make the best choices for themselves and where they go. And maybe they want to know a little bit more about what they might want to major in. And we do see that students who take gap time um, not only consider themselves more at a competitive advantage thanks to their gap time, but also about 60% of them say that their gap year directly confirmed or helped them discover their choice of major or career. So that's incredibly powerful information to step into your post-secondary degree with, you know? I think that that covers a wide, wide, wide group of students. So, so thank you for that. I'd love to. Uh, I think you had mentioned some point offline about doing a, a PD in this, mm-hmm. and I would like to, I would like to take that sometime. So let me know. Let me know when when I can join. I will something like that. <laughs> uh, you have a, you have a business uh, on route consulting. Um, I'm really curious and I'd like to give you a chance just to kind of talk about. I know we talked about how people could do this on their own, but if they were if they were going to use you, well, I'll just give you a chance to talk about talk about on consulting. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, my I've I've always, I mean I think that I'm in the best position in that I I think I have the most fun job in the world because it um 
you know, I think I found my ikigai to throw it back to the earlier part of the conversation. But really what it comes down to is um, is offering a chance to be a resource and and that mentor to a student who's taking a gap year and knows that it's going to be a good experience for them, but it feels lost in the process. Um, and similar to uh, an educational consultant, you know, I work directly with that student and their family to help set those ground rules and parameters and help them understand their budget and then help that student do their goal setting and then walk them through all the options that could fit within their parameters as a, as a student and family, and then help them coordinate their year and then stay on hand with them throughout their year so that they, you know, if they change their mind and want to do something else, I kind of swoop in and we re- re- reconnoiter the plans. And then I'm, I'm on hand on the end of their gap, on the back end of their gap year to talk about transitioning to college or career or whatever their next step is. Julia, we can't thank you enough for being on the Get Schooled podcast. I I feel like, I don't know about you, Chris, I feel like I've learned a ton today. Um, and I feel like I'm, I'm better armed with information now uh, so that when this topic comes up um, in, in my own office, I, I know more of what what the conversation should be. And I know more resources now than than I certainly did before. Well, thank, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. This was so much fun. And I mean, except for the technical stuff, it was so much fun. But connecting with you guys and hearing more about your, you know, hearing you guys first on the podcast and now just being able to be on it is um, is a real pleasure. So Absolutely. thank you so much. So let's take a quick break. Um, once again, Julia, thanks for being on the Get Schooled podcast. When we come back, uh, we've got a special four plus one lenses uh, for our next segment. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Joel, let's hit those four plus one lenses to address all types of listeners to this podcast. So if you're an independent or a school counselor, I might be wrong in this assumption, but I'm thinking I'm probably right in saying that the typical school or independent counselor is probably like us. You know the concept of a gap year program. Uh, but the details and the intricacies of it may be something quite unfamiliar. In order to best serve your students, do some research on this topic. Uh, The Gap Year Association website has a lot of good information available uh, that'll get you started. If a student comes into your office and says that they're thinking about having a gap experience, help them do the research. Uh, Don't automatically write off their idea. It may turn out to be one of the best choices that your students can make. If you're at a university, many of you already do some of this, but let's start with accepting gap years, holding scholarships with no hassle, and perhaps even awarding some form of college credit for the experience. Showcase these students in a public fashion. And as always, clearly indicate your policies on the website. Too often, This is a theme for us, but only experts and savvy families with support networks learn minute details like this. Your support will add legitimacy to a path that ultimately provides you, the university, with more mature, more motivated, more focused, better equipped students. 
if you're a parent listening, I think the gut reaction that most parents might have if their child came to them and said, hey, I'm thinking about taking a year off before starting college, the reaction might not be a positive one. Um, however, one thing I've learned is that the road taken may not be the one you thought it would be, or maybe it's not the road that it should be. And that's okay. Uh, if your student comes to you and legitimately wants to discuss having a gap experience, have that conversation with them. Chances are they've probably done some research and they've really thought about it prior to coming to you with it. Um, and if they haven't, help direct them to resources that they can use to research and plan what could truly uh, be a transformative year in their life. If you're a student, consider it. Again, if it is planned and intentional. Know your limitations, but at the same time, stretch yourself. Do the research and find out what might be available to you. Use the Gap Year Association resources. And if you have the ability, you can reach out to Julia or listen to her podcast. Don't be afraid to have a conversation with your counselor or parents if you can. And if you teach at a high school, just be aware that you can also fall prey to the same prejudices that some parents can as well. Uh, amid a culture where the dominant philosophy is often prepping kids for the next step, which in many people's eyes involves going straight to college, it's important to understand that while you're not a counselor per se, students still look to you for counsel and to provide the best advice you yourself must be well-versed on options beyond the direct-to-college option. So check out groups like Julia's and the Gap Year Association to make sure that you know what's out there, too. Wise words, Mike. Wise words. So speaking of wise words, should I just go straight to the words of wisdom, Joel? Sure. Tell, tell, us, tell us what word of wisdom you have today for our final segment. I'm going to try to get through this without being emotional, actually. This is the first one. Um, so, so today's word of wisdom is time. Um, I've recently learned in a, in a fit of reflection and life choice that time is my most valuable commodity. Um, I, I'm not going to share it here, but Joel, you know what I'm referring to. I do. I spent my, my entire 27-year career uh, never missing days never taking extra trips until my last year. And then I got in trouble for it. Uh, a sit down with leadership on, on raining Reeves in uh, for taking too much, too much vacation time when you don't really get any in a school. Um, and, and just kind of always hustling on the side with Saturday ACTs or college application camps. And I, I regret some of that. Um, I should have gone to North Carolina and visited my mom more. Uh, she's gone now, and, and I'll never get that time. Uh, it's frustrating. Like, why did, why did I feel like I couldn't get away and miss a couple days to make a long weekend at a cabin work or something like that? It's, it's something people say, but I'm 49 years old with, with a flexible job in, in a business. Uh, the next 10 years of my life will be the most fit 10 years of the rest of my life. Uh, not of my whole life, but of the rest of my life. Uh, I won't be able to do the same hikes at 60 that I that I can do at 50. Um, so like I said, time is is truly precious. It's the most valuable thing you have. Uh, and listeners, we, we thank you for this hour and, and hope you were entertained, educated, and inspired. Good word of wisdom this week, buddy. Good word of wisdom. And remember, 
You can always listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at at GetSchooled3 and on the internet at AskMrReeves.com slash GetSchooled. So, Joel, tell us about our next episode, one you have been wanting to have since the podcast began. Yeah. Um, this is going to be another one that was like this one where we're going to get to learn a lot. Um, and I know we, you know, we say that, but it's the truth. Uh, when we started thinking about this podcast two years ago, we started writing down ideas. Um, what is there out there that we could talk about? Um, and, and we were looking for ideas that we didn't know as much about selfishly. We wanted to learn more about. And one of the first ones that made the list uh, was to have an episode to look at HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Uh, there are 107 HBCUs in the United States, as defined by the U.S. Department of Education, including two here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Um, and so for our next episode, we're going to look at them from the past, present, and future. I'm excited. That'll be a good one. I am too. And we, uh, we're going to have some great guests. We're going to have some great guests on that one as well, like we do every week. So, so that's next time on Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. We'll see you then. Views expressed by the hosts of the Get Schooled by Reason Ford podcast are their own and are not necessarily representative of any groups or schools to which they belong.